Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Bottom Line Show Live. I'm your show host, Dame Lillianne Walker, and today with us we have an extraordinary guest who is calling in from Taiwan. He has traveled over 100,000 miles per year on over three continents. He is an international speaker and expert in manufacturing. He has conducted international trade and business and today, without further ado, we have Steve Wang, direct from Taiwan. Steve, welcome to the Bottom Line Show Live. Hi, Lillian. Can you hear thank us? Thank you. Thank you, thank you for joining us today. It is quite, uh, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, we can say it's very late or it's very early right now for you in Taiwan, correct? Exactly. But this is something that I'm very used to. As you mentioned, I'm an international man, so I'm nearly 24 hours on air. The time is irrespective because of the different time zones across the world. So, well, before we get into the skinny of, you know, the secrets to success, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, where you were born, you know, uh, and so forth. Okay. Well, um, I was born and raised in Brazil. My mom is Brazilian. My father is Taiwanese. So that was good because I could experience both cultures. And when I was 25 years old, I moved to Taiwan and I've been living in Taiwan for the past 11 years. And before that, in 2000, I had a year break between high school and college that I spent some time in Europe, mostly in London. Mm, And what took you to London? Well, um, when I was 15 years old, I did a vacation trip, and I visited Israel, Egypt, Cyprus, and Greece. By that time, I noticed that English was a very important language. By that time, I did not speak much. So instead of going straight away to college that I knew that I kind of wasn't sure what to study or what I want to do with my life. So I spoke with my dad and said, look, let me go and have a year break. And, you know, I want to dedicate some time to study English. So I checked some places where to go. And then I thought, well, London's a pretty cool place. You know, it's very, very international. So then I decided going to London. And so I was very surprised there. I thought it would be an English school but actually was a life school. was my first time living on my own, you know, having to manage money, and, you know. And I, I just felt that, you know, I improved, I grew, and then I saw the world in a different way. You know, living sometimes with parents as a Latin boy, uh, born in the middle class, you know, can be uh, superficial and not like seeing the reality. Being on my own in Europe, was a big challenge, and I was glad that I could learn a lot that year. Wow, so it sounds like early on you had an adventuresome travel bug that you were um, open to exploring and uh, going to any part of the world. Exactly. That was because my father influenced me a lot. You know, he's Taiwanese, and he ended up going to Brazil. He had this experience spirit about adventure, you know, and when I was 15, he just told me, you've never been overseas, you know, you need to go and travel overseas, and I was in the phase that, you know, I just want to go to the beach and party with my friends, you know, I was at 15 years old, so, and then he started to kind of influence me and tell how much I would learn, uh, experience different culture, meeting new people, and that was like, you know, a turnover in my life. 
The first time that I went overseas was a little bit scary, was a little bit uncomfortable. But, you know, after a week, I was just like, oh, my goodness, there is so much more outside of Brazil. And then I started to enjoy and take advantage of the benefits. Wow. That's really uh, really remarkable. And so did you have any experience while you were in London, aside from the obvious one, which you mentioned already about the language uh, that you know, language was uh, the language that you needed to master. Uh, did you have any other experiences that you know were aha moments? Yes. Well, in London, what's very very important to me because I figure out that by that time I was living a great life because my father supported me. But mm-hmm. I figure out that if I did not have my father and I could not depend on his support forever I would have to work hard I have to do something with my life so was the time that I started taking things serious you know about studying about you know learning things about you know thinking what kind of job I need to do it how I'm gonna make a living for myself because I knew that wouldn't be easy to have the same lifestyle that my father gave me during my childhood. So that was like my, you know, aha moment. It, it was tough because suddenly I figured out, well, it's time to grow up. <laughs> so, But, you know, I, I praise God every day that I had that year because that was the time that, you know, I felt that, you know, I went from a boy to a man. Wow, so so that's when you kind of asserted your independence and had that 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 reckoning. Exactly, but I think it's a little bit more than be independent. It was the time that I figured out, look, uh, everything that I'm receiving from my parents, I'm just taking for granted, and sometimes it's not even uh, grateful enough, you know, because it, you you just receive and then you presume that you know. It's the life that you have, and that that's it. And then being in London on my own, having to do laundry, having to pay the rent every week, having to manage my money during the month, you know, about my expenses, my eating, you know, and buying stuff that I want, all of this made me figure out, wow, you know, all, all of these things cost quite a lot of money, especially in London. And I have for free because my father supported me. He sent me here to study. And I start to think, wow, if I had to make this money, what do I need to do with how difficult it is? Then it was a little bit shocking. And that, I think, what made me become mature and, you know, and changing my habits and, you know, start to think serious about life. And so who was the first person, like, what was your first job? Uh, at a, at a, straight out of college, and what did you go to school for? Okay, I need to go a little bit back to make you understand. After London, I went back to Brazil, and I had a sort of, you know, like a, a special friend that I was interested in, and then she was a dentist, and she was eight years older than me, and then I was, you know, in first year of college, I wasn't thinking about getting a job. I was just thinking maybe trying to you know, open a cyber cafe. That was back in 2000 where, like, you know, the fast Internet just came out in Brazil. And I was thinking to, you know, start my own thing. And suddenly, this lady that I was interested asked me a question that, you know, really impacted me a lot. She said, what is your dream? And I said, well, my dream is to travel around the world, negotiate huge contracts, learning a lot of language, experience different cultures. And then she told me, well, if that's your dream, how are you going to reach that goal, being like a cyber coffee owner? And then I tried to make it up and think that I could transform that in a franchise. And, you know, I, I tried to impress her. But the thing is, she didn't buy all my speech. So... I didn't know what to say. I asked her, what what should I do? And then she told me, well, you should try to uh, become, uh, try to internship in some large corporations because you're young, you learn some English, and you're studying business administration. 
So because I want to impress her, <laughs> I, I try to do what she suggests. And after a couple of months, actually I was invited to become an employee in an American company in Brazil to work in the customer relationship management uh, in the financial area. Uh, risk management, retirement plans, investments. And I love it. For three years, I learned a lot. I improved a lot. I accomplished all my goals inside the company. But after those three years, I noticed that, you know, I, I didn't have anything else uh, to grow inside the company. I was a little bit um, uncomfortable having a job that needs work nine to six, being stuck in the office all day long. Then I decided, well, you know, <laughs> this is not what I really want for my life, for the rest of my life. It was good during that moment. And that was also the time that I just graduated from college. So that was my first job experience. Okay, so you did financial services. So how did you transition? You know, what was the – there must have been something that happened while you were working financial services. And did you have success at the financial services business? Oh, yes, I did. Um, in, uh, originally, as I told you, I applied to be an internship. After they interviewed me, oh. they decided they want to hire me as an employee. But they have a problem. It was an American company in Brazil, so they have like a head count. They, they had money, but they could not hire more people. They need to ask a special approval from New York. So they uh-huh. kind of, you know, twisted things around. They hire a third company to hire me, and they pay this third company for the service, but I would be working in their office. And they said, Steve, hold for a year. You know, after a year, we're going to, you know, uh, talk with head office again, and we're going to get this special approval from New York. Don't worry about it. And then I said, yeah, fair enough. After three months, they came back and said, I'm sorry, we're going to have to break your contract. I thought I was getting fired. And they said, no, no, no. The thing is, we liked your job, and we don't want to take any risk of losing you. So we are giving you nearly 100% raise on the salary. They make my salary nearly double, and then they hire me under their umbrella. So I was like, you know, the money group employee in Brazil. And in, I think in 18 months, I was elected the third best employee, entire organization with 150 employees. And, you know, after two years, I was elected consultant of consultant. What that means that every consultant that have any question, they need any help, they did not know what to do, instead of going to their manager, they come to me and then I would help them. Oh my goodness. So 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 let's back up here. So you had this extraordinary success the first year out the gate that you were hired and it sounds like you one of your first lessons may have been that there's always a you know where there's a will there's a way because they couldn't hire you directly um as it you know in in an obvious manner because you were you didn't have I guess whatever legal citizenship and whatnot in in London for them to hire you directly. So they they went through a third-party company to bring you in, uh, and then you had this extraordinary success where they doubled your your income in the first year. Uh, you know what 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 happened? How were you able to do that? Well, I noticed that in a company there is two things that people value a lot. One of them is knowledge. If you are if you have a lot of knowledge, people know that they can go to you and then you're going to give them the answers they need. They value and they want to keep you. And the second thing is you must be profitable. They, people would look at you, your manager, your director, company owner, and they'll say, look, I'm spending X amount of money on this guy. Is he bringing, you know, 2X, 3X, 5X? And then what I noticed that, you know, to be respected and, you know, to be a part of the group in the way that I want, I need to, you know, have a lot of wisdom. I need to study it. I need to be able to, you know, have the answers when the questions come out. And then the second thing is, even I was in an area that my main goal was to retain the clients, I started to generate income 
through cross sales, upsells, and then they figure out, wow, we thought we'd spend money on this guy, but actually he's generating money to the company. So I think that kind of got the managers and directors' attention. I can imagine so. And so how did you, why did you end up leaving that financial services business? What happened? Like I said, at the beginning it was fun, it was something new, but I could not see any reason more than making money. And I also, you know, reached all the goals that I had established. You know, I got my own apartment, I got... Uh, my car, you know, I was financially stable, so I I just couldn't see uh, any challenge, and I figured out that, you know, people loved me there because I was generating a lot of money for the company, uh, they knew that they could count on me, I would have the answer that they needed, but besides that, it didn't have anything more meaningful than that. Then I thought, well, you know, I'm 24 years old by that time, and I thought life should be more than that. So I decided to quit and take a year off. And this year off, I decided to go to Taiwan and do some voluntary work. So I trained for three months, prepare myself, learn how to help others, and then after that, I went to the outreach phase where I visit Cambodia, I visit mainland China, and work mostly with orphans. Oh, so that's what took you to Asia then? That's exactly. That's how I ended up coming to Asia. And when, what business did you um, get into when you got into Asia? Okay. After this year off, I took the second year to study Mandarin and start to look for some business opportunities. And when I came to Asia, again, I didn't want to have a job that I need to work nine to five. I didn't want to get stuck in the office all day long. And I didn't want to do something only for the money, something that I didn't like for the money. So I started to come out with a list of things that what I like to do. It. So I thought, wow, I like to travel. I like to learn language. And the only way that you can really learn language is if you need to use it. Because if you can't use it, you can't learn and you don't have the motivation that you need to learn a language. So... Then I started to think about, well, I like negotiation, I like um, traveling, I like experiencing new cultures, and I figured out that as an international trader, I would be able to um, do what I like it and generate income. Wow. So this is very interesting, and this is a common... uh, the golden thread, I like to call it, which is the common denominator that I that I see and hear from all of the guests that we have on our show is that they honor and they acknowledge what it is that they truly like and want. And what you had liked and want wanted had come to a close and basically you had been satisfied with, you know, the goals that you had set for yourself because you you wanted certain things and when you recognized that that was over and you didn't have the challenge anymore, which is part of what you wanted, you decided that you were going to enrich yourself by traveling to Asia and to to um, really follow your heart's passion and embrace language and, and uh, do the things that really were significant and meaningful to you. And in doing so, it looks like you identified, okay, what kind of business, what do I want my business to look like? What is it that I really, really, really want to do? And lo and behold, now you find yourself, you know, not only in Asia, learning another language, but you started to identify the type of business that would have the things that you wanted, which you you decided was international trading, right? Exactly. And so what was your first big break there? Because did you know anybody there? Yes. The well, um, my, my family... It was in manufacturing business and exporting business. Mm. 
but I never want to work in a family business because what I thought is, you know, in a family business, they would never switch me as another employee. They would know that I'm a relative, you know, I'm related to the owner. And I always had this idea that I need to build my own thing because foundation is something very important. If you know how to build a foundation, even something goes wrong, you can rebuild. But if you get something already set up or already done and something collapsed, sometimes you don't know how to start it. I always had this in my mind. That's why I went to work outside. Even even my father owned a company, and I never, you know, want to work in his company. I want to build my own stuff. So I start. I work it six months for an American guy in Taiwan that takes students to st- to st- study in UK, uh, America, and Australia. And I was a general manager. And then I figured out that I was, you know managing a company or was leading a business for somebody else as I could be doing for myself or even for my family. And I thought, well, I don't think this is like a smart decision. So I spoke with the family and I said, I do not want to work in the company, but I want to work for the company. They are very confused. So here was my proposal. I said, I want to be an independent independent sales. What that means is I have no time to be here. I don't receive a salary. And I would be receiving my income only based on my performance. In fact, I don't want you guys even to pay my traveling expense. They thought I was going nuts. (laughs) You know, what kind of job is this? And then I said, well, I want to have my freedom to do my things on my time, you know. By that time, I didn't have kids, so I was a night person. I wasn't a morning person. So I was thinking, going to the office where I was trying to sell my products in the Western countries, Mm -hmm. where it was night in the Western and day in Asia, wouldn't be, you know, like a good thing. I wouldn't be able to email them or contact them or having, you know, immediately feedback so but again they're not used to that they're used to everybody work at the same time in the same location so i i knew those challenges so what i propose is look you don't need to pay me anything uh, I, I, you only pay me a commission based on what i sell and then they love it because they thought well you know if you sell it the company is making money. If you don't sell it, we don't need to pay your salary. What a great deal for us. So that's how I started. Wow. So, you know, it sounds like you you inherently knew that to do things, not to follow the crowd, not to do what everybody else was doing, but you, you followed your instincts and did what you knew in your heart would work. You you weren't particularly interested in the typical nine-to-five job, having a salary where you have that safe and secure salary and you're doing everything cookie-cutter like everybody else. Sounds like you, again, because you were you were very committed to following your your heart's desire, you made a proposition that was an irresistible offer, which is really actually really great sales. That's another golden thread that I talk about, you know, that is a common denominator with people who are successful, they, um, you know, they make irresistible offers and they do things out of the norm. And you clearly did this. You you made them a, a unique selling proposition, a, a unique selling proposition that was, you know, unheard of for them. And they're like, wow, this is so different, but it's like, how, it's a win-win. How could they lose? That's right. So this is awesome. So, And because you had already had some international travel, I would imagine you must have had some what I like to call relationship capital, people that you knew in London and Brazil. And you could, those hours, again, you said you were young, so it didn't matter that it was, you know, everybody's asleep maybe in Taiwan, but in the other parts of the world, just like we are right now, it's 11.37 a.m. in California, but it's 1.37 in the morning for you, isn't it? Yes, 2.37. 2:37 in the morning. So That's right. uh so so this is fascinating. So you, you again that you're creating really your own opportunity. So what happened next? Well, 
as you mentioned, I had traveled a lot around the world, and I knew that always uh, had people with needs. And so what I did is I started to see w what what I had in hand and what would be my potential customers, and I started to make some cold phone calls and sending some emails and, or, or working with, like, we call, like, a dead database. It's the customers that's not active. They don't buy from the company that I was working anymore, but they bought once. So I had those information, and I started to work on that. And it took me around uh, three to four months to start receiving some very little, very tiny orders. And took me about a year until I got established, you know, visiting customers, going to their markets. And what I learned is that every time that I would go to a country, I would see, okay, I supply X product. And then I would go to supermarkets, craft shops, any retail that would sell this product. And I would check the labels and see where this product is being made. If it's made in China, Taiwan, Korea, uh -huh. Europe. And then I start to compare what kind of price they're selling, what was the import duties in that country. And then I, I did the reverse math. I said, look, if they're selling at this price, the manufacturing should be selling at this price. And then I knew what kind of range of price or how much, how expensive I need to sell it or if I had a competitive product or if I could sell it at the same price with better quality. Then uh, in the labels, I could get who are the importers, who are the brand owners. So I was like, okay, this is my, my target customer. So that's how I ended up, you know, getting, you know, an advantage of other people that, you know, most of the time are, you know, sitting in the office and, you know, expecting customers to go through the company's website and then, you know, they they follow the the regular formula. Oh, a customer find us through the website, they send an inquiry, we send a quotation. If they like the price, we send samples. If they like the samples, they'll place order. But, you know, we have no this way i would have no action everything would depending on customer so i i just decided to do my way and on doing on my way after maybe 18 months the family called me for a meeting and they said i'm sorry we can't keep doing this and i was like why i'm selling selling pretty good recently and they said your commission is too high it's being higher than the company's owner even counting his bonus so we need to change the way that we are doing business well that's interesting wow so th that's interesting that you started to take particular notice to where things were being made and it sounds it's evident that you were very proactive as opposed to being reactive where you're waiting for the business to come to you the way everybody else was doing it. You decided to create the business by going out there, being proactive, and seeking it out and bringing it in. Yes, well, because of my previous job, I knew that having knowledge is crucial. And I noticed that most of the international traders, when they're talking with international customers, most of the time they have no clue what the customer's business is about. They don't know if they're importer, if they're distributor, if they're retailer, if they're a chain store. And then this lack of knowledge is crucial for the factories in Asia not succeed because they would give the same price for a customer that can buy a million a year, and then they give the same price for a customer that want to buy 10000 a year. So uh, what I noticed is like, wow, you, you need to know your industry, you need to know your markets. And then my original idea is like, okay, I'll be visiting those countries. I'm used to go overseas, I'm used to use maps, GPS, I'm used to get around. But then when I get in the shops, I start to notice that all the information that I needed was on the label, 
wasn't so difficult because most of people, their challenge is where am I going to find my customers? And everything that we want is who sell it, who import it, or who is trading. It's on the labels of the product. Then, you know, mm-hmm. understanding these steps made my life much easier. And once I figure out that had this system that I could do it, I just, you know, start going to different countries and doing the same thing in other countries. Wow. Okay. So so that's interesting. It seems like you had a, a heightened awareness of something that's in front of everybody else, but nobody else is noticing it. But you took notice of where these things are being manufactured, and then you just went to the source and started connecting the dots. And that brought you an incredible amount of success and continues to bring you to this day of an incredible amount of success. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. Well, you know, you also had an experience. I remember when I heard you speak, you um, spoke very passionately about um, something that you were having this uh, feeling at the time that you were feeling like you were disconnected. And and I'm sure uh, everyone out there has had periods of their life where they feel like either things aren't going right or they just feel like they're not, um, there's something not right and they feel disconnected with either themselves or what's going on. And you, during your, you had a very powerful talk where you had had this, this not only thought and feeling, but then you went through this particular um, exercise, and all of a sudden you had an epiphany. You had an awareness of of what the source of that disconnect was. Would you share with our listeners a little bit about that? Yes. Well, uh, I'm a Brazilian. I'm, I'm very passionate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a guy that you know loves physical contact. Um, uh, you know, there is this book that talks about five love languages. You know. I think I'm all of them, you know, I like physical contact, I like quality time, I like giving, I like receiving, you know, and the the Asian culture, it's very different. There is very few physical contact between each other. Sometimes, you know, the maximum that they do it is, you know, is, is shaking hand, and, and, and that is not, not even common. So, for a Brazilian... You know, it's very different, but because I want to honor the people here that receive me so well, and, you know, I, I didn't expect the country to adapt for me. I thought I need to adapt for the country. So I just, you know, started to change. And I figured out that, you know, and somehow I was losing a little bit of my passion about my motivation, about my identity. And then... In in, in in L.A., uh, during a seminar, we had, you know, um, seven days and seven nights. It was very intense, very hard for me that I was, you know, attending this entire seminar in English. That's not my first language. And I was challenging, physically challenging, emotionally challenging, because I was feeling very sick, very tired struggling with jet lag and I had a throat infection. So I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, it, it was being wow. very, very hard to me just to be around, you know. And mm-hmm. suddenly, one day I get down and one of the classmates that ironically, she's Taiwanese, born Taiwan and moved to migrate to America when she was 12 years old. And then the way that for her to greet me was with a hug. I thought, oh, my goodness, that was nice. It's been so long that I didn't have, like, a good morning hug. <laughs> uh-huh. And, you know, and and suddenly another guy that was giving us some tips on Qigong did the same thing. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is good to be hugged by other person either than your wife or, or your own kids. And then just, you know, uh an hour after that, we have an activity in a swimming pool where would, you know, be, you know, carrying somebody else in our arms. And then we need to make sure that this person wouldn't, you know, draw inside the water, her head wouldn't get in under the water. And we need to make sure that this person felt comfortable. And it was like a 30 whole minutes touching somebody else that, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know before. And I noticed that the goal on the exercise was 
to, you know, build trust between mm-hmm. the classmates. I knew that. That was obvious since the very beginning. But what I learned is that the way that you build trust is with two ingredients. One of them called intimacy. Because, you know, holding somebody inside a swimming pool, you, you can't get more <laughs> close than that, you know. And mm-hmm. it's not that I was doing it for my wife or my sister or, you know, I was doing, you know, um, a classmate that I met, you know, two or three days before. And I mm-hmm. learned, wow, when you have intimacy, you know, you're building trust. And the second thing was responsibility because I was being responsible for somebody. I had their lives in my hand. I didn't want them to feel afraid. I didn't want them to feel scared. I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. So, and then I figured out, wow, what a powerful thing. And then what I noticed is that without knowing, without acknowledging those things, that was what I was doing to my customers. And that's why I was being so successful in business. Because every time that I sit with customer, I build this trust. And the way that I built this, I would speak their language instead of expecting them to speak English. And then they feel, wow, this guy is different. He does not expect me to speak English, you know. And then they, they felt comfortable. They, they, they opened up their heart to me. And then every time that I would offer something, a business opportunity, uh, investment opportunity, I was being very, very responsible about what I could deliver. And then I always over-delivered. So I thought, wow. You know, I was doing something, but I didn't exactly knew what I was doing. And through this exercise, I thought, wow. oh, my goodness, that's it. If you, you want to build trust, you need those two ingredients, responsibility and intimacy. And there is a way that they found to, you know, build trust. Wow. So that is absolutely phenomenal because uh, it's funny because there's, there are oftentimes business people who have incredible amounts of success and sometimes they can't articulate, uh, you know, the bottom line as to what it was that they did that made them so successful. But it, it sounds like you were very aware that the key to your success was you were able to establish intimacy, you were able to establish a trust relationship between you and the other person and you take uh you know the responsibility of their life of their experience with you in that business relationship and that the combination of those three ingredients is what has built it's a, a beautiful foundation that stands the test of time that really continues to pay dividends for for both you and the the other party that's involved in that relationship Yes, that's true. And, and you know, that's it's at the heart of the matter here is you're really coming from a place of your humanity to your client's humanity. And I think that's why it's such a powerful effect. Internationally, it doesn't matter it crosses geographical lines, cultural lines, it you know, over bodies of water from, you know, the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean and beyond. Yeah, you know, I understood that in the international uh, trading business, there is always uh, a risk. When you're buying overseas, it's a little bit different. You can buy it cheaper in somewhere else, and because of that, you take the risk. But it's never the same when you're buying in your own country, in your own city, in your own neighborhood. In your own city, your own neighborhood, you know the place you're buying. You know that you can go and ask a refund. You can change. You're going to have your warranty and everything else. On international trade, it's very different. You pay up on front for something that is not even done yet. Most of the manufacturers only produce after you pay a down payment. So th- there is a lot of risk. And most of the time, you pay the balance before you even receive the goods. So... I understood that this risk make people, you know, okay, I'm willing to gamble. I wanted to buy something cheaper, uh, a mm-hmm. product far away from my country, because then I would have, like, you know, a better profit. I would have a more competitive product or a different product or whatever 
reason they have. But they always had this fear, what I'm going to receive because I'm paying everything up on front. So understanding this fear, I figure out, well, if I build this trust, I, I don't need to you know, invest heavily in marketing. I don't need to, you know, uh, hunting my customers. I'm just in a position that they're glad to work with me. And it's unbelievable. People, in this, customers in the same industry, they would introduce me to each other. And as I said, I didn't have to invest in marketing because through referrals, I had an, more than enough business. In fact, I had to start to rejecting business because there were so many that I couldn't do it. Wow. That's a powerful place to be in. And so, you know, and I know that, uh, you know, you've traveled over 47 countries. You know, most people, they're lucky if they do one, two, or three. You have actually been in over 47 countries, uh, you know, all over the globe. And I know that you've got some pretty big Fortune 500 companies like Hobby Lobby. So these are not small players. You, You didn't start off there, but you obviously have been able to grow to the point where you've got some you know, very large, significant accounts that you continue to to build that intimacy and that trust and you continue to foster that responsibility with. So what would be your recommendation for anyone listening who has a business maybe that is here in the States and they're looking to do business, let's say in Taiwan or anywhere else overseas, what would be your first advice uh, to them? Okay. The, there is three simple steps that I would say. First of all, mm. you need to find a need, a need for a product or service. I started with glitter. You know, it's a very shiny product. It basically it's a, like a polyester fume metallized with colors, cut it in hexagonal shapes. But I noticed that every, not every, but a lot of Christmas decoration, a lot of crafts, a lot of makeups, a lot of even shoes had glitters, you know? And then I thought, wow, this is a thing that's in many, 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 many products. So here we go. I found a product, you know? Then the second step was uh, I found a product, and the next step is to find, you know, the supplier. Who can supply? I was lucky enough that my family manufactured that. So I didn't have to look for the supplier. But if if I didn't have my family, what I would do it is I would look for good suppliers, suppliers that would have great products, good service, and affordable price. And then the third step would be, okay, who will be buying these? And I figure out that, for instance, in the States, all the uh, craft shops, Michael's, Hobby Lobby, AC Moore, Joanne, all of them carry a lot of glitter items in, in their products. And then I thought, look, those companies, they have 400 stores, 1,000 stores, you know. And then I discovered the dollar shop, like Dollar Tree, 99 cents. And I was oh. like, wow, those guys also carry those products. <laughs> and then I started to figure out uh, to think okay uh, what do I need to do it to get in their shelves and I start to study their pricing I start to study studying the colors that they use it the size that they use it so basically I, I, I was like okay uh, the shop itself can be my target customer but I also can see that they are not selling only their own product they sell different brands so those brands can also be my target uh my target customers because most of them they only own the brands they don't have any manufacturer everything is being oem for them in somewhere in asia so you see you started with the products you know and then somebody else listening to us would be thinking well i i don't know what to start See what you like it. If your passion is cars, cars equipment, mm-hmm. if your passion is technology, then look for something that you have intimacy, that you know profoundly, or that mm-hmm. at least you like it. Then you think, okay. And then because the, the traveling that I did, I was like, oh, my goodness, this cost $1 in Asia. 
in Europe would cost 10 euros. I was like, wow, there wow. is a lot of money on the table. <laughs> then, mm-hmm. you know, that was the connection that I made. So if you if you find a product that you like, that you understand, and then you look for a supplier, and then you look for a customer, you can actually make a deal without putting any money up on front. Because as I told you, the importers, they are used to pay up on front. The manufacturer is using to receive up on front. If you are the middle guy, you're not using your own money. You're using customer's money straight away, and you get your share in the end of the deal. Wow. So so that tip alone uh, can it is a you know, multimillion-dollar tip for our listeners. Anyone who is here in the States and is looking to do business in China you know, again, you're using other people's money. That is one of the big tenets in business school that they teach you, the value of, you know, leveraging yourself using other people's money. Uh, And so that's an incredible insight uh, for our listeners. Uh, You know, you have the, the aspect that has to do with you as an individual. You know, you're part of the formula to make, you're basically the glue that um, you know cements everything together by building intimacy, trust, and being responsible with the client on the other hand, uh, and then being able to apply the knowledge that you just mentioned that you can basically start business using other people's money, you know, because in, in when you take the order, those things aren't built yet, but you know, money needs to be exchanged. So. That alone, uh, I'm sure that you you give incredible insights in the training when you do your talks uh, and your system, because I know that you also have, separate from the glue and glitter business, you have uh, another business that actually helps kind of marry the two, people and products and services internationally uh, in trading, correct? That's right. It's a sourcing company. And uh, it's not like a familiar term, and a lot of people get very confused what that exactly means. But that mm-hmm. business actually fall on my lap. I didn't create that. It was natural. I was traveling around the world selling the products that we manufacture, and the customers would like me, would like my service, would enjoy talking to me. And then they started, Steve, look, you sell us glitter, you sell us glitter glue, but we are like, you know, a craft shops. We need wood, we need EVA, we need ribbons, we need, you know, uh, brush. Can you help us? And at the beginning, I was like, yeah, sure, I can help you. I was thinking, well, you, if you are my customer, why I'm not going to help you? And then I figured out one day that I was working nearly half, 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 of the time wow. or something that I make no money. I was just helping <laughs> my clients because, you know, they need it. And half of the time I work on my product. Then I was like, wow, I can't do that. I, I can't afford to do that. Then I mm-hmm. started to explain my customer, look, I helped you a little bit, but, you know, from now on you need to do it. And they said, no, I want you to keep doing it. I said, but, you know, I don't make any money on this. And they said, wow you are not making money because you don't want I'll gladly pay you to do that then mm-hmm. that's how I started to you know do the sourcing and basically what I do is I would have you know supply any need that my customer wants whatever product he needs if if exists we would find a good supplier would find a good deal and we would manufacture and ship to him if it does not exist we find a company, a manufacturer that's willing to invest in a prototype, in a mode, and will create the product that he needs, and then it would supply to him. In fact, that's become so powerful that started as a small operation, only three people in the office, and mm-hmm. we had a year that the sourcing company uh, was having the same income, the same turnover, that's the entire factory that has 15 employees. So it was like 15 wow. employees generate the same thing, kind of money that three employees was generating with the service. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it amazing, like huh? You would, 
it is amazing. So, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I would say it's it's, it's pretty evident to me that if anyone, you know, maybe doesn't want to reinvent the wheel, you may want to consider. And I don't even know if you have franchise opportunities, but it seems like it would be very, very uh, prudent somebody who's interested in this line of business to follow the template that you've had because if you can create the profitability that a 50-person company has and you can do it with three people, oh, my gosh, you know, that's it's like one of the better-kept secrets on the planet, and it's tried and proven, and now it's just a matter of, you know, it sounds like, my goodness, Steve, you could really expand, uh, you know, you it sounds like you're – your growth and your expansion of your businesses has been very organic, and it's because you've really, again, followed that thread of what what you want, what you like, and what you're passionate about, all along cultivating, cultivating, you know, the intimacy, trust, and responsibility of your clients. But it sounds like uh, it would be very, you know, easy for someone either to look to you for either like a franchise opportunity, or if they're just looking to there's a particular thing that they want to um, build or a certain type of product that they want, they would be able to contact you and you would be able to source that for them, just like you have, you know, the Joann's and Michael's and 99 Cent Store and all these other different clients that you have had year after year. Yeah, well, at the moment, I'm not taking new customers, uh, you know, from... Anywhere, mostly the customers that you know I would accept or consider is through referrals or like you know I'm dealing with a company and they have like a subsidiary company, then I take it because as I told you, I enjoy the job, but you know mm-hmm. it's time in requests involved a lot mm-hmm. of traveling, and I'm a father of two kids, and I mm-hmm. want a quality life, so what I learn is through the seminars that I've been, is that sometimes I have to reject and deny good business opportunities. Nice people mm-hmm. that wanted to work with me, and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm too busy, or not profitable enough. And then I figure out that instead of denying or rejecting those business opportunities, what I could do is I could teach them to do it how I do it, and then if I would coach them, if needed, most likely don't need, but if needed, I would coach them, and then they would do themselves. This way, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be compromised. They wouldn't lose the opportunity because I'm too busy or I'm not interested or it's not profitable enough according to my standards. So mm-hmm. what I'm doing is I'm creating a system where I would teach everything that I know, all the steps, and then... I would, you know, um, support them through videos, through seminars, uh, through coaching sections where they would learn with me and then they would be able to expand their business. They would be able, you know, to work internationally. You mentioned about franchise. Franchise, yeah. it, it is good, but it's also a nightmare because it involved a lot of <laughs> loss, involved a lot of, Money lost. I know somebody that, you know, mentioned that lost nearly half a million dollars <laughs> in a franchise. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not something that I'm looking into. But I have a different way that's much simpler and can be done year by year with a simple agreement that is called agencies. What I mean by that is that in some countries, not all of them, only the countries that I'm interested, I would nominate somebody as my exclusive agent. What that means is that I would give this person exclusive power to represent myself, to represent my company, to represent my brand in a specific country. And what that means is that all the marketing that I would do it worldwide would generate leads. And if the, the lead goes to this country, I wouldn't cross it. I wouldn't go it. I had somebody that would represent to me. And the only thing that this person would have to do it is to invest in the system and learn how to do it and, of course, have the same principles and core value, you know, and be <laughs> trustful. That's all. And then this person would, you know, have a profitable business without having to put 
a lot of money up on front or dealing with franchise international lawyers and every hassle that you know a franchise brings mm-hmm. that's fascinating so um, that is uh, obviously available to our listeners uh, whether they listen to this show live or they listen to this on a later you know uh, archive broadcast now I, I I also wanted to bring up the issue I know that you had shared um, when I heard you speak you you had mentioned also about one of the things that you had done when you were um, as you were moving from one stage in your career to the other, you had this repeated prayer, and I've never heard anybody quite language it the way you have. And, and you, you, your actual words were, if I recall, that you asked God to not only bless you, but also to honor you so that whatever step you needed to take next, which at the moment part of your prayer was because you didn't know what you needed to do next. So you were asking for a blessing and an honoring that God would bless and honor you. Would you elaborate a little bit more on that? Yes, sure. Well, uh, I consider myself very blessed, and I think that everything that I have in my life came from God. Yes, I do my part, you know. I study hard, I work, I meet with people, I, I do my job. But I believe that there is something stronger, supernatural, and that comes from God. So what I would pray is that, you know, God would honor me because when you ask God's honor you, you're honoring God and recognize and being thankful for what mm-hmm. he has given us. I think that's powerful. So instead of just say, oh, please bless these or help me to go through this deal, I said, please honor me because I know if God would honor me, Everything that I would need would come together in the packaging. So that that is the way that you know I uh, I pray and then I always honor God. You know, with my actions, with my language, with my prayer, uh, with my testimony. So that that's what I believe. Wow. So you know, I can honestly say, and I I have. Um interviewed hundreds of people and uh this is you're the first person who I've ever actually heard them express it the way that you have you know we have everyone always shares their spiritual walk and and whether it's prayer or meditation and and so forth but I've never had anybody quite language it and you say that they ask they actually ask God to bless and honor them so I thought that was really quite interesting and it makes total sense and also your perspective that, you know, you're asking not only God to bless and honor you, but that your actions, your words, your deeds, the way you're choosing to, lose, to, to live your life is in honor of God. And so it seems like it's a full circle. You're honoring God, and then God honors and blesses you. So what a beautiful thing. That's right. I truly believe that, you know, everything that we sow and would reap. So I'm sowing a good seed, you know, with my love, with my passion, with my words, with my good character. So I expect that back. And I think through my, you know, honestly, you know, a prayer, you know, I know that God, it's important. I know that our Father, our Lord, I respect, but I also talk with Him as a son, you know. And I think maybe in this intimacy, I, I just came out from my mouth, you know, one day, please honor me. <laughs> I was facing some challenge. And I felt, wow, if I don't, I don't succeed here, would be a shame not only for me but also for the God that I represent. <laughs> then that wow. was the first time that I prayed and said, please honor me. And since then, it's part of my prayers every day. Wow, that's that's a beautiful, beautiful um, approach. I think. So, where can our listeners get more information about you, your sourcing company, and get in contact with you, Steve? Okay, as I mentioned before, I'm a very low-profile guy dealing with uh, many customers that uh, compete in the same field. We do not expose too much about names or products, but you can have a brief idea about the things that we do it on my website. It's www.creativo, C-R-E-A-T-I-V-O.com. Dot tw. There you're going to 
see some of the things that we do it. And in the last page, there is a contact page. Um, the system, the seminars, it's not available yet. Everything is being processed. Probably all the information going to come out before the end of the year. But if people are interested in know more about international trading, how to do it, and you know, get you know the blueprint to succeed on this, you can email, and then we're gonna create like a pre-list reservation. What means is that people that would contact now would have a priority to receive the system, to receive the training. Wow. I'm not gonna be able to do too many trainings because as I mentioned, I have a family. I have a couple of business that I take care. I do a lot of traveling. But for those that would be really, really interested, and if we figure out that we are perfect match, if they're qualified, they'll have opportunities to invest in those systems. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So there you've heard it, ladies and gentlemen. Steve, this has been a very interesting and intriguing hour. I, I thank you so much for sharing your story and your secrets to your success with us. And uh, our listeners can go to www.creativo.com. Dot com dot TV. We'll make sure to post that on our show link so that folks can uh, access and contact you. Thank you again, my friend, for opening up your heart and your story and your success with us and for honoring us with uh, sharing that intimate side of you that normally you uh, reserve. So thank you very much, Steve. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, Make sure to join us every Wednesday at 11, 11 a.m. at the Bottom Line Show Live if you want to learn more about Steve Wang, international manufacturing expert. Please contact him directly at the website listed in this show. Thank you again. Peace and love always to you all. Bye-bye now. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.